Hello, listener. You found yourself the latest episode of Michigan Soccer Central. How's it going? Rob Kerr here back again hosting the Michigan Soccer Central podcast where uh, we aim to be the source for uh, soccer here in the Great Lakes State. It is the uh, recording on the 13th of September, so we are uh, saluting summer and uh, full speed ahead in the fall season of soccer, which meant the first weekend of uh, games for my U8 and U6 teams. That was an excellent uh, time out and about. And I wanted to say congratulations to Michigan State University women. They were this week's Michigan Soccer Central We Are Soccer Team of the Week. If you watched We Are Soccer on Woodward Sports Network on Saturday morning, you'd already know that. But congrats once again to Women's Michigan State Spartan Soccer. If you want to uh, nominate a fantastic Michigan-based uh, soccer team who had an outstanding weekend or week on or off the field, send either Michigan Soccer Central or We Are Soccer a direct message and nominate that team and get yourself on We Are Soccer and spread across all of our social channels between our two soccer entities. Uh, we want to shine a light on all the teams, college, high school, youth, or otherwise, that are doing great things on the field. And speaking of great things on the field this weekend, uh, there was a, a special goal in what seemed like a special game uh, down in Hamtramck this weekend. And to talk more about that, I've got a good friend with me, a fellow press box guy. Please welcome Mitch Gasky. How you doing, Mitch? Doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's an honor to be on the show, and I'm excited to talk about all things soccer today. Thank you. Well, uh, like I said, uh, Detroit City FC uh, returned to action at home at Keyworth Stadium. And uh, you were there. Why don't you kind of lay the scene? Um, I know they kind of went for a different kickoff time than usual, and uh, uh, but that 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 earlier crowd uh, got a treat by the look of it. Yeah, a bit of a weird kickoff time. Um, you know, we've had a couple games in the past, maybe you know, with a Sunday afternoon kick, but Saturday evenings normally always seven thirty kick at Keyworth. Uh, this week, a little bit different uh, with the four o'clock start time to the game. We were treated to an absolutely gorgeous day. Um, if you were out and about Saturday, you know what I mean. It was under 80 degrees. There was a nice breeze. It wasn't too uh, sunny out, so I didn't get sunburn, which I appreciated because I did uh, the weekend prior to that. So still recovering from that and applying aloe. Um, my fair skin really appreciated the beautiful weather and yeah, it was a, a decent crowd. Not great. You know, there, there were a whole lot of things going on on Saturday and I think, uh, you know, people are obviously, uh, you know, getting more comfortable being out and about with COVID restrictions kind of loosening up there. Um, so I think there's, there's just a whole lot of options out there for people right now, but, those that decided to go down to Keyworth were treated to a great game, as you said. Uh, strange start, you know. We're we're used to seeing City get off to a uh, hot start and you know kind of control play 
from the beginning. They actually gave up the first goal in this one, and they look to be in a little bit of trouble, at least uh, at the initial stages there. But as we're used to seeing, uh, they settled in, ended up getting a 2-1 win, and I'm sure you're going to want to hear a little bit more about that goal. So I'll let you uh, go ahead and set it up from here. Well, I, I was off, uh, like you were saying, there was lots going on on beautiful Saturday evening here in Metro Detroit. And I, I was off with uh, the wife having a very fancy dinner. So I wasn't able to see this uh, goal uh, with my very own eyes. Um, I didn't introduce you very well. Why is it that you were at the game and uh, you don't miss very many DCFC games? Um, I've done a little bit of everything for DCFC over the years now. Started back in 2015, back at uh, Cass Tech when they were still over there as the public address announcer. Did that for a season, uh, was the beat writer once they moved over to Keyworth for a couple of years. Since then, I've transitioned into uh, stats role. Uh, for a couple of seasons. And then, um, you know, more recently in the past couple of years, really just kind of anything and everything around the press box, whether it be, you know, pregame wrangling lineups or uh, helping the stream team, you know, kind of relay information in real time as it happens as a spotter, uh, you know, if you're familiar with that term. Um, yeah, just again, a little bit of anything and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly don't like to uh, to miss those games because they are each and every one of them is pretty special. And, uh, you know, to to have the unique access um, and to get that glimpse behind the curtain that I do. Um, it's not something that I take for granted by any means and certainly something that I enjoy doing uh, every time that I get the opportunity. And so we've made our way to this moment. So it's 1-1 through the majority of Saturday evening's game at Keyworth Stadium. Uh, I believe it's the 73rd minute or so. Um, I'm guessing you haven't seen anything quite like that. And has a, a, another goal made it to number one on SportsCenter following a game? Well, yeah, I obviously, um, you know, the number one top play on SportsCenter is... An awesome achievement, uh, not something that I think I've ever been a part of. And there was certainly a buzz as soon as the goal went in. Um, and I'm sure we can tweet out a link uh, for those who haven't seen it. But it's just one of those that you, if you're a soccer fan, you know the kind of significance or the importance of the just the spectacle of a bicycle kick. Uh, you know, somebody kind of going for it in the in the way that that requires and for it actually to come off and go into the net it's really quite special something that you don't um you know you, you might see some a few attempts a season but generally speaking none of them really are ever on target so to see one actually require a save and then for it to you know go over the keeper's hands the way that it did uh, just a, a very cool thing to watch. Obviously, the crowd explodes. The players themselves went nuts, you know, because they're not used to seeing <laughs> stuff like that either. It just doesn't happen that often. Uh, so yeah, a, a very cool thing to see live and in person. I can imagine to to kind of paint the picture for you guys. Uh, 
if you didn't see it yourself, we'll 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 do our best to put the link to the to the highlight out there. And it is remarkable, but the Detroit player breaks from the uh, the close left hand corner, plays it in. Um, was it Connor Rutz? It was Connor Rutz on the goal, and I'll mention the the Detroit City player who set it up was Tendai Jirita, who did a phenomenal job initially of just making this even a possibility. He was in tight quarters, kind of navigated around two defenders somehow, you know, right on the touchline, found himself in the box in a lot of space, got it over to Connor Rutz. Connor got off a shot that was blocked initially and got his own rebound and just kind of was able to finagle his body and get the the exactly perfect bounce that he needed for his foot to meet it just ever so sweetly. And it just drifted right over the goalie's hand. The second um, kind of look at it as you, uh, you know, if you watch the actual replay of it from the broadcast, that um, kind of field level cam is right next to where I was standing. Um, again, kind of relaying that information in real time, who scored the goals, who's got the yellow cards, this and that. So I'm sitting kind of right in midfield, right next to the camera as this is happening. And that replay that you get is pretty much what I saw live. And again, just wow. a phenomenal thing to see. Yeah, that that is remarkable. And then to, to wake up on Sunday morning with that to be in uh, on the number one sports center top 10 on a Sunday morning on a college football weekend, no less, is very impressive. Uh, I got to admit a little bit of jealousy that you got to see that in the flesh. And it, it looked like the, the roof just exploded there. Yeah, and especially, you know, uh, the game having gone the way that it was. I mentioned Detroit City going down one nothing, uh, tying it up. But then that um, that game winning goal in the 70, I believe it was the 73rd minute, somewhere around there. Um, you know, you could, um, we're getting to the point with this team, and I guess we can kind of touch on it a little bit later as well. We're getting to the point, uh, City fans are expecting wins each and every time on the field, just with the quality that Trevor James has put into this roster. Um, and, you know, when when it comes together in such a spectacular fashion, uh, you know, it's just, again, the, that cherry on top to make it that much sweeter. It's pretty wild uh, <laughs> how consistent they've become. I believe they have yet to lose on the road. I don't believe that they've or they've definitely haven't lost in 2021 yet. Um, the inevitability is becoming uh, <laughs> definitely a factor. One thing I think is pretty impressive is that on the occasion that they do concede, such as on Saturday, they conceded an, an early uh, goal to go behind, and that uh, they don't they they they've always bounced back. They seem to have always bounced back from any goal that they concede. They don't, or so far have not allowed uh, the, the the crowd is lifting them up rather than becoming a weight or a pressure. It seems like. One hundred percent, and I think a lot of that is due to the belief in the system that they have and just that confidence that if they do play their game, everything will take care of itself. You know, the, the result will come in the end if we do what we're supposed to do. And more times than not, we're seeing that even in the games where it seems, you know, they're maybe not on their, the top of their game, they're still coming through with the results. And I think that uh, again, just goes to show 
how much the players have bought into what Trevor James is, is, is selling them in terms of, Hey, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and, and we're seeing it, we're seeing the manifestation of it, uh, week in and week out with just another impressive win, uh, after impressive win. Going back to that goal, the way he shapes his body to, to, to turn around on his own rebound and shape his body to then get up in the air for the bicycle kick is, it's just unreal to like how it just, the angle came down just right. And he moved his body just right to, to have it forceful yet looping enough to get up over a tall goalkeeper under the bar at that. I don't think I've seen that goal from that spot in the box before. Um, Yeah. And, and like I said, to get his own rebound and and you're exactly right to shape his body and kind of just move the, the exact way that he needed to. It's almost like he practiced it, but there's, you know, there's no way he could have, but it almost is like he had done that before. Like kick it off a wall with a, that has an angle. There's those rebound <laughs> yeah. walls that uh, I've seen uh, kids play with where they, they, they chip it up to themselves, but truly, truly remarkable. Um, it leaves the, re- the weekend's results, uh, leaves Detroit city FC well uh, on top of the NISA standings uh, with six games played. Uh, they have 16 points, uh, five wins and just the one draw. And uh, their closest competition nipping at their heels um, is starting to get a little bit of distance. The LA Force is three points behind, um, and Detroit still has a game in hand. Uh, LA Force has uh, three less points and has played a game more. Same with Cal United Strikers are on 12 points, having played a game more than Detroit City FC. And I should mention uh, Detroit Stars uh, got a win at home over the weekend, too, on Sunday. They got a 4-2 result over uh, San Diego. Um, a lot of goals for them. They have been on a nil-nil uh, tear of late. So uh, the other Nisa Michigan team, the Stars, are uh, getting in the win sheet too. Um, you explained a little bit um, about uh, your history with Detroit City. How did you find your way up uh, into the press box in general? And for clarity, I do know Mitch separately from uh, the press box for Oakland County FC, but uh, he's got himself all over the place. How did you find yourself up there? Yeah, I've been uh, pulling double duty uh, for the last couple of years now. Very happy to be involved and be able to contribute in the ways that I do with Oakland County FC. But yeah, it started off in uh, 2015 with Detroit City. Um, I graduated from college that year and uh, actually I'll I'll never forget it I got a phone call from my uh, high school math teacher Dave Dewey who is uh, one of the co-owners of DCFC and he said hey we need a public address announcer for this coming season uh, you know I know you're studying broadcasting and looking to graduate in a couple months what are you doing so that's um, how I got my start and uh, got my foot in the door and after that 2015 season, I knew I couldn't, uh, you know, just end it there. I had to continue to be involved. If you've been around that atmosphere, you know just how um, intoxicating, I think is a good word, uh, that it can be. And it really kind of grabs you, makes you feel like you're a part of something greater than yourself. And um, yeah, I've, I've loved every minute of my involvement with Detroit City. 
That's awesome. I've definitely, uh, when I bumped into you at the NISA championship game, um, that was quite an experience. Just the game, you know, them winning was fantastic, but just going to that game was the first time a lot of people I feel like had been at a game. And I feel like I just kept going left, right. We actually get interrupted. You and I, we were chatting and I ran into a guy from pickup soccer that I hadn't seen in a year and a half. And I, that kept on happening. That like you said, something bigger than yourself. It, it was a, a really great coming together there. Yeah, and it's a great thing for this city to have that experience around the game of soccer. You know, I'm a big baseball fan as well, and it seems, you know, I've been going to a lot of Tigers games uh, this summer, again, with kind of just the ability to do more things with COVID kind of receding at least a little bit. Um, and, you know, it seems every time I'm at Comerica Park, Comerica Park, I bump into somebody that I know from something or other in my life, you know, and I think it's very important for the city to have those same kind of experiences with the game of soccer because it it just kind of goes to show, hey, there are others, uh, you know, maybe you didn't know so-and-so from church was a soccer fan as well, but you saw him at the DCFC game, and now that's something you guys can talk about. Uh, you know, when you see them after mass or whatever it might be, you know, seeing those people from different walks of life in different circles of your life that are, uh, you know, you have that uh, shared interest, I think is a very cool thing to start to have happen in this city. Yes. Having positivity is something to definitely uh, cherish at this, at this time. And um, I can totally agree having more places where you can, intermingle and and get positive interactions is great like going back to the youth games i'm seeing families that i haven't seen in a year or two at the practices and then uh at the games again um it's just really uplifting and how uh soccer can can really uh network you i've, I've come to realize almost everyone <laughs> that i know is in some way uh has some sort of a connection back to uh soccer that's how i've i've kind of ne- networked my way through uh Uh, this stage of life. Um, One thing I've been asking guests uh, in this transition from summertime to to fall ball, um, can I ask you, put you on the spot a little bit, what was your best and worst, if you have one, of the summer season? Or even 2021, if you want to stretch it out before then. Yeah, the best, I think, would be... um... You know, just in general, the the ability to have a season, right? You know, Oakland County FC, you and I are both involved with them. And it was great that, you know, they were able to survive 2020. A lot of clubs didn't. And, you know, big shout out to all those clubs that were able to weather that COVID storm, find unique ways around those unique challenges, um, you know, with sponsorship, sponsorships and extra donors and fundraising. Big shout out to all the supporters that helped those clubs get through that. Uh, so I think my my best part of the summer was just having a full season again, you know, because 2020 was such a drag. Being able to see all the clubs in Michigan all do their own thing on all these different levels Again, I think it's just a great thing to have for the state of Michigan as a whole, uh, you know, to, to increase the, vis- the visibility of the sport, 
to, again, continue to grow the game. I know it's beyond cliche at this point, but we still are, I think, in a stage where, you know, we need to get more and more people involved. And that's what I'm seeing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, well, one thing uh, or another team that I have declared um, as my best of the summer, I totally agree. And I'm so much more grateful uh, as we went through the OCFC season, just to jump back to your point, um, is just how many people it takes to, to make the thing happen. You know, you know, you got the, the coaches, you got the administrators, you got the players, you got the trainers, you got the photographers, you got the people figuring out the logistics, the people in the league, like it, <laughs> that's a, a lot of humans to make a, a game happen. I'm, I was just, I remember a couple games, I think it was like the second and third game in the, the spring summer season with uh County that uh, I kind of teared up a little bit. I think it might've been the second one when it really dawned on me, like, wow, we're, we're really actually, we're back in action and, and all these people are here uh, f- for the same ends. Yeah. And you can see just how much it means to, everybody involved, you know, for all those different reasons, right? It gives the players somewhere to play in the summer to keep themselves sharp for, you know, their school seasons. It gives fans something to do in the summer, something to support, something to kind of share a bond with others over. Uh, It gives families uh, an opportunity to see their kids play a little bit closer to home, maybe when uh, you know, maybe they're going to school farther away and it's not so much of an option. It just means so much to so many people. And the way that it was taken away from us last year, I think just uh, kind of increased the importance um, and, and really did drive it home for me again. Uh, like you said, early in the season, it, it did kind of hit home uh, just how much it meant to so many different people. Yeah, it, it was really great. We had a <laughs> the first uh, two months of the season were were an awesome ride, and uh, definitely I already knew that uh, the way to to um, deepen your bonds with uh, your fellow supporters is going on road trips. And I'm, I'll always remember our uh, road trips we had uh, in the summer of 2021. Some really uh, really good times there, and yeah, and I think the cliche of you don't know what it's gone got until it's gone totally sinking i mean for everybody in all walks of life in all aspects of life is like all the things we took for granted almost like it was a burden like oh we got another this and that or we have to go to this event now and especially maybe we're going back to to the routine to a degree but in um may and june um getting back into the real world was was real special and then having soccer was was just uh Absolutely fantastic. Really, really drove home how uh, how much it means to me and how much it means to all the other people um, was really fun. Um, one of my best, what I uh, said on the show last week, uh, one of my shouts for best of the summer here in Michigan soccer was another Michigan-based club who went undefeated through their regular season this summer with nine wins just one draw and a plus 28 goal difference in their 10-game tw- season. Michigan United's UWS team dominated their division in 2021, but that uh, team was just the tip of the iceberg of the Mammoth Club based just outside of Grand Rapids. Here uh, to talk more about his club, Director of Coaching for Midwest United, Lewis Robinson. Welcome, listener. This is Robert Kerr back with you for Michigan Soccer Central. 
one of the storylines of uh, the summer soccer season of 2021. Uh, from my vantage point doing this uh, podcast was the growth of clubs and quality on the west side of the state. And I'd say, in my opinion, one of the biggest successes for Michigan soccer this summer was Midwest United. The Kentwood, Michigan-based club's senior women's team absolutely crushed United Women's Soccer's uh, Midwest North Conference, going undefeated through the league season and made a postseason playoff that went up until the national semifinal. To learn more about Midwest United, uh, whose origins actually go back as far as 1990, I've read, uh, we're joined to learn more from their director of coaching, Mr. Lewis Robinson. Hello, sir. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, to be here and, and have a little chat. Yeah, first, congratulations on uh, that uh, seemingly historic uh, UWS season. Yeah, thank you. It was it was fun. I mean, it was um, yeah, it was definitely fun to get back to it, right? And we're still um, we're still all kind of I guess on the on the outside of of coming back to soccer, right? So it kind of keeps it all in perspective a little bit, doesn't it? So it made it feel almost a little bit more rewarding and, and exciting to, to get some great things on the field when, when we've been out for so long, wasn't it? So, yeah, it was uh, it was fun to be a part of, for sure. So you're the director of coaching, and there's a lot of teams uh, in uh, Midwest United. Um, how hands-on, what was your role with that UWS side? Yeah, yeah. So my role, um, really my my day-to-day job as director of coaching with Midwest United. Yeah. So I see, I oversee kind of all of the soccer side um, of our club and company. So um, that's, you know, the almost hundred teams um, from four years old through 18, 19 in our youth club. Um, and, you know, about 40 coaches and everything that we do on fields or field around like that. Um, and then, yeah, the, the last couple of years I've been the head coach of, the UWS team and, and put that together and kind of oversaw that with with a great staff of people, um, some great assistant coaches that help us out as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my Midwest United scope. So, excellent. So, you're definitely a, a great resource to, to kind of walk us through the season because uh, on the show, uh, we kind of just ran down the scores of a lot of various leagues. I uh, have a, a, a obligation or I'm on the staff for – another club, my local team. So that kind of sucks a lot of time. So basically it was just reading scores and I was always blown away by your uh, score lines and over a nine game season or a 10 game season, rather uh, your team went nine wins, zero losses, two ties and came out with a plus 28 goal difference. Uh, Clearly a cut above um, this year in uh, the Midwest North conference. Kind of uh, walk us through um, how you built up uh, the team and how the season went. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, who, who's your team, first of all, just so I don't offend anybody? Oh, uh, I uh, my local side, who I uh, spend a lot of time doing things for, is Oakland County FC. Ah, gotcha. Okay, okay, cool. Good group. Um, well, yeah, so so we, um, I mean, I think first and foremost, to... to, to cover the subject is we're a little bit different to a lot of these teams, I, I think. Um, and the big thing that, that differentiates us and maybe Detroit city are the closest thing to us in, in the fact that we have a full, a full set of, um, of club of teams, right? So we, we're a full service that we go from 
four years old through now the senior team. So our, our teams run a little bit differently where a lot of these teams are really just made for the summer months and, and try to cover their, their expenses and provide a product just for those players. You know, our, our club's very much based on providing a return home for all of our college players and alumni, which, which I think our players really enjoy. And I think it makes recruiting and, and putting together a team maybe a little bit easier for us because I think a lot of our players, they're, they're proud Grand Rapids kids and they're proud Midwest United products that that want to come back and play with their friends, play with their teammates, uh, play in front of their families and, and be a part of this league. So I think that that really separates us a little bit from, from some of these other clubs that we play against. Um, in that we've kind of built ourselves on on being West Michigan's best and having the best players from West Michigan. And then from there, we go on to compete with everybody else. And, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we, we definitely had got to do that this year. We had the best players in the local area and, you know, the players were very committed and we trained three days a week and always had every player there at training and, and travelled well. And, and yeah, we were um, lucky enough to get on a good run as well and, and win some games and, and continue it almost till the end yeah it looks like how many rounds in the playoffs uh did you guys go through to to make it to that national semi-final yeah so so the way it works for, for our league is we just did a um a midwest tournament which was like our conference two other conferences um where we played and we so we ended up winning that um which, which would be corktown in the semi-finals and then we beat um st louis in the final to qualify. And then the final four teams qualify for the national tournament. So it's basically just a semifinal. And, you know, we, we didn't play our best game, to be honest with you, in the semifinal. And we lost 2-0 and 2-1, sorry. And, um, you know, we felt a little bit hard done by. We thought we, we, we could have got through that game. We, we chose the wrong one to not be at our best for, you know. But but it was still a good run and still making it there. The final four we, we were pleased with. And, um, yeah, overall, it was a good season for us. Yeah, obviously, with uh, nine wins and just one draw, uh, may I ask who who was uh, who was it that uh, got the results off you? Who who did you draw with this season? Oh, you're gonna put me on pressure here. Oh, um, sorry about that. No, that's okay. That's okay. You know what? It was Lansing early on, um, which was a funny one. It was actually the beginning of the season. Lansing ended up finishing um, actually out of the playoffs. So it was a weird one. We we um, we've always had a good rivalry with Lansing. They're a good team. Difficult place to play. They. Um, they play in a grass field out there, Lansing Soccer Complex, and they're always really well organised and um, got some good players. And Yeah, we went in and uh, they probably got the better of us, to be honest, and we, we were pretty lucky to get away with a tie in the game. And then, um, yeah, we, we managed to, I think, really build some momentum, learn a lot from that game and um, finished out on a great run. Uh, so you going back to uh, your answer about uh, what you kind of uh, how you built the team and a lot of returners from uh, your uh, youth ranks that have gone on to, to college and whatnot. So how many players were you know trying to get on this uh, UWS side? Yeah, so you know I've done this for a little while now, uh, Robert, and I think you know I used to. I actually I was I led the Grand Rapids FC team. A couple of years ago, we actually won a national championship there uh, back in the GRFC days. I think it was 2017. And then I moved over to the men's side and did that for a couple of years and then took a little break and uh, got back into it here with Midwest. So I've kind of seen some great summers and some some ugly ones over the last few years. Um, so we always try to figure out like what the perfect number is and what the ideal roster looks like. And I think, as, as you probably know from being heavily invested in, in the 
seasonal summer soccer game, um, it really depends on the group that you've got. You know, we, we try to have, I think what's really important for us is we try to have a balance of a group of committed top college players that are going back for big colleges and small colleges and colleges that are looking to compete. Then we try to have some players that are finished in college. So they are experienced, they're playing for the love of the game, they have great track records and we know they're good people but they still want to play. And then we also have a group of our current academy players. Some, you know, we had a couple of 16, well, a couple of 17, a couple of 18-year-olds on the team who aren't yet in college. So, you know, I think what I found is that balance of those three levels of player um, really kind of brings everything together to really create a, a really competitive group, you know, because you've got three groups of people that are all in it for very different reasons, but they're all very committed and very competitive. So, I think in the best years, like the one we had this summer, the one we had a couple of years ago when we won the national championship, I think we had the perfect mix of that. You know, a couple of older, they don't like to be called veterans, but they're out of college and um, playing around their work schedule to lead the way. And then that healthy mix of current and future college players as well, I've always found, um, keeps things fresh, you know. That's almost like a, a, an American soccer generation is like two year gaps between these players and their different categories almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I think it's really cool too, though, right? It's something that I don't think you get enough in the American game. I think like the, there's lots of positives and, and negatives to the college setup, right, that we have here. But I think that's something that we miss out on a lot in this country um, compared to other countries that, you know, your main competitive years are like 18 to 22, right? So you never really get those like 17-year-olds playing with 28, 29-year-olds, right? That, that I know in my experience, that's some of the the best development you get when you're in, you know, playing in a youth pro league in England or Europe, or you're playing in a second tier, you know, semi-pro division. So I don't think you get that much do you, in the true college system. So I think the, for the summer, it's really nice. I mean, we had players like we, we had a player playing for us this year, um, Paige Eli, who was the Davenport head coach. And I don't even know how old she is. She's late twenties, um, but she had, you know, played for England in the youth setup, playing a couple of youth world cups, played collegiately. And then, She's five or six years out of college. And I mean, she's got experiences that are, are so valuable to young players. You know, when you get 15, 16 year old players that get to train with her every day and see kind of her knowledge of the game, the way that she practices, the way that she competes, the way that she communicates and reads the game. Like, I think those, those are so valuable for young players to see, you know? Yeah, I think that's uh, really becoming uh, apparent with uh, the the national team on on that scale is uh, the need for balance in ages. Like uh, we saw, you know, just last night for context, for anyone listening to this in the future, we just uh, ended the first window of world cup 22 qualifying. And it was a a rough ride for the young, young, but talented U S men's side. And uh, yeah, you can tell that there's a a piece missing without uh, veteran players so that, that that really becomes very true and then to your point more locally at the regional level yeah when you get into the season commitment for the summer leagues that that already takes you a step above because a lot of the teams you know they ask for their players back earlier or some players uh, have other commitments that only makes them available for certain games and so i could see like having lots of uh, local, you're mixing, um, from what it sounds like your, your, uh, cocktail for the team was a mix of, uh, talented, obviously, but a mix of experiences and a mix of, um, uh, like being able to have a uh, leadership as well as youth on the same side, which, 
Yeah, like you said, it's very rare because a lot of the teams, yeah, there are various stages of going to different colleges and stuff and just kind of piecing it together. It seems like you have a pretty thorough and uh, some, some depth to your roster building. Yeah, I think that's the plan. And, and like I say, you know, Robert, it, it always it's easy to talk about after you have a successful summer, right? And say it was all uh, it was all planned and it worked out perfect. But but you know, it, it never. There's always other pieces. It always relies so heavily on the character of the players that you have and their investment. And as you know, that you find so many of these summer teams that they're working around players' work schedules and life schedules. And like you mentioned, we found if. If we do go for a lot of the big ACC, SEC, even some Big Ten, big, big, big Ten schools, they're, they're asking the players to come back at the beginning of July now. So, so you can't really rely on those players at least for the whole summer. So, we had a good balance of of the in between, and you know, found um, a great committed group. And, and I think the other key is is having a group of players that they don't take it for granted. You know, they don't just think that coming to practice is just to get ready and just to have another session. You know what I mean? They, they, we, we pride it in our players. That I think they have an expectation that they're here to win and they're here to compete and, you know, they don't get to pick and choose if they want to be there or not be there. I mean, you got every kid of practice every day and all the games were well attended. I think that's another thing that really separated us from other teams is, is we had the same group there pretty much every week. You know, we weren't rotating the team too much. We played one game a week and at least the core group of players was pretty much the core group of players. And um, and that helps as well. You know, and these girls, they get to play together every weekend and see some great successes, you know, stumble together, make some mistakes. I think that, that really helps you as you get ready to, for the end of the season as well. You said you were um, drawing some attendances. Tell us a little bit. Uh, where do you guys play, and uh, what kind of crowds were you seeing? Yeah, so I mean, that's maybe another thing as well that we're a little bit different, at least this year, um, for the way that we're run. You know, we play our games at mix between Midwest United's home facility, uh, which is right in Kentwood, and Aquinas College, uh, which is a, a beautiful little soccer facility right in the the heart of Grand Rapids downtown. Um, so we played our home games between the two facilities. Um, but we don't charge attendance. So so the big purpose behind our senior team was to bring high-level women's soccer to the West Michigan community free of charge. So through sponsors and a couple of very kind donors and, and the club's support, um, we were able to do that, which I think is has always been the main goal of the club and the team. Um, and I thought it worked really well. So we get great attendance from families from from a lot of kids in our club that will come watch and yeah we, we were our home games you know we were in the few hundred people at every game and made for a nice little atmosphere by the playoffs the the stands were pretty full so probably 500 plus which uh in our league was it was a great um was a great number to be at that's awesome that's awesome and then you going back to the uh kind of uh, midwest united on the whole uh, you're directing uh, the director of coaches at Midwest United, and you said under your umbrella there's a hundred teams. Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, getting there, like eighty to a hundred, fluctuates up and down any any given year, and uh, yeah, with a couple of satellites and affiliates, yeah, we're around about a hundred teams. So, would you say you, it seems like you would be a good person to ask the parameter? How is the is the youth enrollment up or down in general, and is it up in Grand Rapids? Because it seems like there's a lot more senior summer league teams. Uh, maybe there's just prolonged interest, interest but at, with your experience and you're seeing you have, like you said, 80 to 100 teams uh, under your watch. Is there more interest or what, what, what's the what's the direction of the barometer of uh, youth actually getting involved in playing right now? 
Yeah, well, I think it's it's pretty known fact that I think the number of attendance all over this country is up, right? I mean, I think we're the highest participated and played sport in the country by a ways um, across youth. So numbers are great. I mean, since um, post-COVID, we've been, our numbers have got back to where they should be and we've pretty much stayed the same and, and where we normally are. So that's really good. Um, I know in West Michigan, like you spoke about, I think, West Michigan is is a huge growing soccer community. You know, I think from from what um, Grand Rapids FC and and Matt Roberts and and the crew that created that club um, a few years ago built to become a, a club with a huge fan base, and I think that really got the Grand Rapids soccer market involved and invested. And yeah, we got we got a lot of very good youth soccer clubs here. Um, a lot of people playing. We were a very I think it's a it's a great little soccer culture in this city and, and in this uh community so yeah that's that's probably why you see some of that and you know there's a lot of little towns in the area that support and as you mentioned they have their own teams and do a good job as well so yeah we're um it's a good place to be i think in a soccer world out here and uh like you said with uh your involvement grand rapids fc and they had some success and obviously you guys had success in huge um numbers of people involved in the club and then you mentioned uh, grand rapids just as a soccer city itself uh there was lots of uh rumors and different stories about investment and perhaps a usl uh team out there what what is your thought on that is that something that grand rapids is interested in and is that something that midwest united or not midwest yeah midwest united is looking to be involved in themselves um yes yeah, bit of a double barrel question that one isn't it yeah i think um yeah i think it is i mean i, I in fact I, I mean i know it's going to happen um it, it's it's done pretty much that there'll be a a usl um likely championship team coming i think it's it's more a matter now of how many how long is that going to be and what's it going to look like right i think it's uh i think it's public knowledge and uh if not you didn't hear it from me but the, <laughs> there is definitely going to be a team um i think that that conversations going on right now is is more so way above my pay grade in, in stadiums and leagues and all that fun stuff but but yeah that's what I've heard and read online and seen at least now yeah I think I know that Midwest United will it will definitely be you know affiliated in some kind of way whether it just be support or a second tier or working with the women's team I mean I think there's loads of great options um and I'm, I'm sure that we'll at least be in communication with uh with that group as it comes you know but i think that's exciting i think grand rapids is a is a perfect um minor league city you know i think they the league knows that i think usl know that i think we're never going to be quite big enough to host an mls team but i think um we, we've proven in, in hockey and baseball and other sports that you can they can be a leader in in a, in a minor league program and i think that's why um USL is going to make perfect sense, so whichever route they go down. Yeah, definitely uh, a town that seems to embrace uh, something when it's good, for sure. Like uh, the Griffins, when they were making their AHL run, definitely there was a, a palpable fever if you came through town then. And then I've uh, not been out to the baseball, and then there was a, a few good years there for uh, Grand Rapids FC. And uh, when I wrote down this question, I didn't mean it to seem leading, which it, it may now, but uh, you have the UWS as kind of your uh, senior team on the women's side. Um, do you have uh, any plans to have like a, a summer league on the men's side, like NPSL or anything of that nature? Um, yes. 
would be the short answer. Yes, for sure. Um, we, we hope that that should be done, figured out here in the next month, I would imagine, and public and released. But yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I think, I guess, without saying too much about that, because it's all not final yet, but I think, um, yeah, there'll, there'll likely be a men's team that will come under the, the Midwest United FC programme for next year. Um, just finalising a bunch of different things with that and what that's going to look like. So, yeah, I would I would imagine that will be coming. Very exciting. So uh, Midwest United is, is being very ambitious and, and taking strides forward, uh, a men's league team, uh, but not yet finalized on uh, what league uh, just yet. Very exciting to hear. Thank you for sharing uh, that little bit of information yeah, with yeah. us. So we're, we're excited, and I think that the, the main emphasis has been you know, it's kind of been a little bit of an experiment with the women, right? It was an idea that our leadership had to, you know, can we run this women's team and do we have players and the resources as a club to do it and, and make it so it doesn't cost us too much money and we can create a great opportunity for the players. And, and it's worked really well, you know, to say that we rolled it out last summer and in the middle of COVID um, and then we played this summer and it's gone well. So, I think that really what that was. It was an experiment to see kind of be supported by the club and, and does it make sense and is it something that our city wants and will get behind and, and they have, which has been good. So now I think the next natural step for us is to um, is to create the same opportunities for our men. That's super exciting. I'm, I'm very happy to hear uh, continued progression uh, and just of our, our game in general and especially in our state. It's just mm-hmm. such a groundswell and something that, uh, you know, was a, a constant caveat. It still is, but it seems like clubs like yours are, are making steps to bridge it. But just that that youth to professional disconnect that, that there really is. Uh, hopefully, like this teams and summer leagues and uh, whatnot, um, youth connecting to the pro can be something that becomes uh, more normalized. Yeah, not, that's like I say, without, we, we, I mean, I'm not sharing any private details because we don't have them yet but i think like common sense would tell you right that like let's say if we can get a deal over the line and we get this finalized in public here soon of a a men's and a women's summer team and then also some form of a link relationship with a usl championship team like then at least it has that clear pathway right which is which we all know that's the system that works and not to say kids won't go to college in between which they should but um I think just just having everyone on the same page and having those opportunities in the city for for our players is um is really important. So we're, we're excited to to try to help with that. And like I say, I know it's something that the likes of uh, Detroit City have been pretty good at doing, um, you know, and and growing that on their side as well. I think there's there's obvious benefits to having a youth platform and a youth connection in the community. Yeah, bringing uh, common sense to American soccer is one of our goals here. <laughs> well, I got a couple more more fun questions. That's exciting news, but I got a couple fun ones. Um, like I said, with uh, what's going on uh, national-wise, uh, kind of uh, in the spirit of the moment with uh, Greg Borhalter having to uh, navigate a pretty sticky uh, <laughs> window of games, if you yeah. could disconnect yourself from... Uh, the the if that situation uh, this is a hypothetical question here so if one of the 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 coaches under your supervision was like three games into 
uh, an underwhelming tournament and then wildly change the system before a very important high stakes game. How, how would you react to that? Yeah. Um, you talking about before the Honduras game. Yeah. So yeah. game three of the qualifying cycle. And, and I heard. I Greg Gorhalter played five at the back, players yeah. all out of position. And, and from what I can remember, not the system they had been using in the lead up yeah. to these qualifiers or over the summer at all. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. You know, I was actually, I was lucky enough that I was there on Sunday in Nashville and we watched um, the Canada game. Okay. So we were actually there um, with, a, with a college team. We watched that. So I got to see that firsthand, which is always nice to see. And um, then, yeah, I heard, I, I did hear that he came out and did he, did he say that he got it wrong? Yeah, he because he. Oh, sorry, I should have. I should have asked if you watched it first. So in the first half, yeah, he he got it all wrong, and yeah. uh, he made three halftime substitutions and returned to a four three three, and they ended up like it was seriously the first half was the worst half I think I've ever seen of uh, international soccer from them. Like nobody yeah. looked like they knew what they were doing, and then he went back to the four three three, and they scored four goals and looked way better. But the yeah, first half yeah. was crazy. I was just curious how you'd react. If uh, your if your coach kind of made what seemed to be a very hasty change in the midst of a tournament, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it was interesting. When I heard that he said that that he made a mistake and he changed it and he owned it. I think that's most coaches don't do that, and that's difficult to do, right? Is admit that you messed up and you got it wrong. Um, but I, I guess if you corrected it halfway, that's part of life, right? I, I always think going into these games, I mean, you want to you don't want to try to change too much. That as a coach, you can be the one that ends up messing it up, right? I always think keep things simple and allow the players to execute the plan simply and well. Um, but I, th- I think in general with that group, I think they're, they're a little bit too, when I've seen, and, and I haven't seen everything, but I think they seem a little bit too structured at times and um, not enough creativity and freedom for, for some of those young, talented players. You know, that that's what it seems like at least. But, yeah, I'm sure he's much more qualified and experienced than I am and... Uh, and they'll figure it out. But I think it's I think it's hard. I think they're in that that strange transition period too, aren't they? As a as a team of what are they gonna be? Are they gonna be a front foot attacking pressing team? Or are they gonna go back to the defending counter that brought success for so many years? You know, I think that's that's really what they have to figure out, what's really important. But yeah, I mean ultimately they got the win, right? And won a game that they had a good second half, so hopefully they can um keep building on that now, right? So you're saying if your coach, uh, if that happened like under your watch or your coach did that and you kind of took notice of it and if he owned it and made the changes and it came out okay, you you wouldn't really have anything to say to him? No, I mean, I think that, it, you know, we all make mistakes. I would question to any coach and say, but I guess on, on, on the flip side, you've got to say it was a disappointing result and performance on Sunday, wasn't it? So to try to change something is maybe a good thing in that way and I think the most important thing is recognizing that it didn't work and then fixing it, right, and trying to fix it. Now, as I say, I, I think that it looks like that team has deeper issues than, um, <laughs> than just Tom Juris, right? It's figuring out their true identity and finding ways to allow your young creative players to be creative, right? Yeah, and if you put a long-term lens on it is really what you have to do. If you're missing a whole generation, obviously, the – if you're missing, like what you said, you, you want to have the mix of experienced players, the players that are like in their prime and then the ones on the, on the ascent. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they, they, they don't have much in the, uh, the, the older category. So it's ends up understanding uh, uh, they have a long way to go. So best be patient probably. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, well, to... I think you've got a lot of good players, don't you? But I think, I mean, I think that game on Sunday that I saw, the one person I was re- really impressed with was um, Davies for Canada. Thought he was special player. Shows the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and it's a shame that the the players pretty much at all levels are are dealing with crunch schedules, which is leading to a lot of injuries. Well, that's the other thing in it too. I know I noticed that in that game, and, I, and I've seen it. You get it in this window, right? Like now, all of your players, and you got more players playing in the European leagues. When you got these players playing there, like you know for a fact that their their club teams are at least keeping one strong eye over them, aren't they? And then they're managing how many minutes they're allowed to play and. I think it's in the back of the players' minds too at the beginning of the club season, and obviously that's who pays the bills. So you got to be you got to be careful with that as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, my apologies to the listeners. My uh, guard dog Chihuahua must be barking at the uh, the mail carrier. <laughs> my apologies on the the background noise, but to bring it back uh, back home. Um, so so we're in the fall now. We we talked about the summer tournament. So so what's the day to day or our, actually what's what's the 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 next event of uh of importance for uh Midwest United uh as we're into the fall season now. Yeah, so we start up with our competitive season. So we have um you know our travel ball starts. We've got our girls side just made the switch over to the ECNL platform this year. So we're now playing in the Elite Clubs National League for our um older six girls teams and then um first and second team so that's a new challenge for us which we play regionally so actually those teams are all uh heading away to st louis tomorrow to play on saturday and sunday first games of the season so that'll be fun and then our boys teams just uh joined the mls next league which is the new youth league with mls so we've got uh first mls games coming up this weekend as well so yeah it's a uh it's a busy time but exciting very exciting times. So uh, eagerly awaiting uh, your uh, soon-to-be-announced uh, senior men's team and kicking off MLS Next amongst a lot of other teams. Um, Lewis Robinson, uh, Director of Coaching at Midwest United, uh, thank you so much for your time and telling us about uh, your club. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me anytime. And, uh, yeah, appreciate all the support and all you do. Michigan Soccer Central podcast. Robert Kerr, your host once again, uh, joined again for our final segment of this week's episode by Mitch Gasky, my uh, fellow press box boy. Uh, I hope you don't know. That's a yeah. nickname. Is it a nickname if I'm the only one that says it? And it- <laughs> no, we're a, we're a, an affiliation, I think. Um, and if you're looking to apply for membership, I think you can send those to Rob or I on Twitter. Yeah, it's a it's a two two person club, and there's a lot of other people that are in it. We just need to meet them, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure there are other chapters uh, that we're just not aware of yet. But uh, great interview with uh, Lewis Robinson of Midwest United. Um, obviously, lots of uh, wheels in motion in Grand Rapids soccer. Uh, what are your thoughts on what we just heard? 
Well, I love it. Um, you know, I just we've talked about this a little bit off air, Rob, you know, just in different conversations that we have in, you know, Facebook chats and and in person and such. The fascinating part about Midwest United to me is the structure that they've got in place, right? Lewis Robinson mentioned it in the beginning of your interview there. They're just different from everyone else in the area. Uh, in And they're doing it right, in my opinion. Um, top to bottom, bottom to top, there's consistency and the ability for kids to stay with the same club throughout their entire development, I think, is crucial when you look at the bigger picture, not only for the player's sake, but the overall strength of the sport in the United States. Um, you know, again, you and I have talked with others about what's wrong with the U.S. men's national team. I've made the point before, and I guess I'll continue to fixate on it. Most of the best national teams from around the world are driven by strong domestic leagues. And I think the approach that Midwest United is taking um, and that that Lewis Robinson was kind of advocating for there at the end of the interview, um, I think that's the way to go. Top to bottom, getting these players in, kind of getting them to play together, the the mixture of uh, of of the roster that he talked about and kind of the different stages of the career that those players are in and getting them all together to fill out a roster, I think is another great way to think about things. I, I thought that was a great interview and great job by you to kind of set up Lewis in those ways to get him to expand on those points. I appreciate that. I, I yeah, that almost seems like a, a force of nature, um, at least within the development. If you have uh, people dedicated and, and providing a service from, I believe he said, like the four or five year olds all the way through um, the 18 year olds. And now um, uh, adding or they have that the UWS team. And then um, that little nugget he shared with us that uh <laughs> we'll be uh, all systems uh, are get the radars up for the announcement of uh, what their plans may be for uh, a senior men's side. So that 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 was exciting. I'm glad he uh, t- teased us with that a little bit. So their yeah, UWS did. team, if their UWS team reflects on how their men's team might be, that's a, a frightful prospect, I'd say, um, because they were absolutely the class. Like. I watched, uh, I went in person to a couple of Detroit City FC games uh, for the women's side and uh, streamed a number of the Corktown games, the ones that I could find. And um, and I thought I was impressed by the quality there. But then to see Midwest United had just kind of taken care of <laughs> all, all the teams. So it's like a whole nother step above from what I saw my, my myself. And then if they bring that that depth of talent and the 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 consistent commitment that's a one thing too that they have that dearth of players that are regarding it as a return to home so they they they, they're committed through the whole season it sounds like and he 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 noted that that was a key to their successes they had the same team throughout the whole season training three times a week with no not a lot of questions asked as to to who will be in the lineup for the next game 
100%. I think that goes so far at this level when you look at, again, the makeup of these lineups, a lot of it is, you know, the whatever kind of networking your club coach can do with the local college coaches to get those best players available in the area. But again, it's a completely different approach that Midwest United is bringing to the table to say, hey, we already have this team together. Like like Lewis said, it's bringing these players back home. Um, It's almost like in Little League. Again, I'm a baseball fan, so a lot of my analogies go that way. In Little League, at the end of the year, you know, you play the all-star tournament. And there are some teams that it's like, I don't know, this team kind of seems like they've been playing together all all summer and we're just now starting to practice together as a team. That's what it was like uh, coming up against Midwest United. I agree. The one time that they came to Keyworth this past season, it was, um, I, I don't want to say astounding, but it was very impressive the way that they were organized. They knew their game, what they needed to do. Um, and they just went out and executed it. Impressive stuff, truly. And um, yeah, another feather in the cap of um, Michigan-based soccer, really, to have um, that club out there. And like I said, the UWS team, tip of the iceberg. Um, he said in that interview, between 80 and 100 teams throughout uh, all the age levels. Um, they're kicking off their MLS next uh, season for the, the boys. So I'm going to try to get uh, Brooks Lambeer to talk about that he's set to some do some scouting at uh some of those mls next games so i'm excited to hear about that and then uh yeah i'm definitely going to keep my ears uh perked up for where this uh, midwest united um men's team might land uh that's exciting news and um yeah was that like an unintentional breaking news piece it may well have been he would not (laughs) (laughs) i think he shared i think he, he Maybe he thought that we we will turn this show around too slow for it to for it to have an impact. But uh, uh, yeah, he definitely shared uh, that the, there's going to be a senior men's team. Uh, didn't say uh, what league. I have my uh, suspicions, but uh, we'll we'll see yeah. what what happens there. Um, another thing uh, that I wanted to ask was. Um, I pressed Lewis about what would you do if um, one of your own coaches made drastic changes in front of a, a critical game in a tournament and a, a change that your team probably wasn't comfortable with uh, vis-a-vis uh, what Greg Berhalter did in uh, Honduras with the radical system change in the first half of a, a big game. Um, yeah. What are your takes on all that? Well, there's a there's a whole lot to unpack there, isn't there? Um, I think we're still at a point where we're relying on the system to do a bulk of you know the the heavy lifting here. You know, as U.S. soccer, we don't yet have the um, the virtuoso talents to just kind of let let them take over games at least at least not on a consistent basis. Um, so I think when you look at it from that perspective, when you're when you're 
more oriented to keeping a strong system and and again that consistency which i will continue to harp on i think consistency uh you know for these athletes is huge because it's all about muscle memory the more that they're comfortable doing the easier it's going to come to them you know in a game they won't have to think about it so when you switch things up as drastically as Burhalter did, it's just, it rubs a lot of people the wrong way and it leaves you scratching your head and you wonder why. And it's not even like it was really a positive change. You know, it's, 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 it's a tough one for me. I don't understand why he did it. It's tough for me to kind of second guess because I'm not as plugged in you know, as, as a lot of people are, and my, my opinion isn't as informed as a lot of people even listening to this. Uh, but it just, in terms of the strategy, it rubbed me the wrong way. I think it, it, it didn't do him a whole lot of favors in the minds of a lot of fans, uh, and, and even his own players. It's pretty wild uh, what, like, when you get to this level, the stakes that are involved. Because at halftime in that game, when they're losing 1-0, and it looked like they were going to get two points from the first three games, like, there was a lot of dominoes falling and a lot of people's heads uh, involved <laughs> that, that were paying attention to that. Like, things were about to crash and burn, and it's pretty wild that they turned it around. But I I, I didn't really get them to answer what... Uh, he, he would do if one of his coaches, I guess it's hard to replicate uh, the pressures of a national team uh, into the context of uh, a youth club. But going back to Grand Rapids, uh, one point that I did want to make is I, I, I really like that they're trying to make that bridge with, that is missing in American soccer between uh, the youth ranks and the professional ranks. Uh, it's so murky that the, the pathway to get from the youth ranks, to the professional ranks isn't quite clear. So them adding, you know, I mean, them providing the whole age range is exceptional. And then now adding those senior uh, teams um, is very exciting. And uh, I think they were moving the right way and just showing some ambition. A lot of uh, youth clubs don't even have the ambition to to, to progress along um, once, once kids uh, age out of the youth uh, program. So very exciting. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. One more Grand Rapids related thing. Uh, there were a number of reports throughout the summer of uh, big money donors out in um, the Grand Rapids area with uh, plans or uh, schematics or plots to or ideas to build a, a big old stadium and bring a USL team to town and have a whole downtown thing similar to the Grand Rapids Griffins in Grand Rapids. Um I know you uh, travel out to Grand Rapids quite a bit. Um, how would you say if the, if that if that uh, I guess every construction project before it happens seems like a pipe dream, and especially with what we've dealt with in lower league soccer, with you know uh, real estate being involved and all mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But if this uh, this dream of uh, a big stadium, a whole commercial empire with a USL team, Grand Rapids. How do you think that goes down? How does that affect the, the Michigan soccer scene, do you think? Well, it would certainly shake it up. I, um, you know, uh, for three, four, maybe five years now, people have been kind of waiting for that first 
big domino to fall. Uh, you know, I, everybody wants that. Not everybody. A lot of people want that MLS franchise to come in, whether that's in Detroit, whether that's elsewhere. Uh, it still remains to be seen. But I think, um, you know, again, just kind of more, mm, I don't want to say like a, a test subject or like a case study, but it will be interesting to see how it plays out kind of on a smaller scale. Lewis Robinson mentioned, um, you know, it's Grand Rapids is a great minor league city. The great, the Griffins do have a great following. They've been there for a long time. The baseball team does well out there. GRFC had a pretty steady following for at least a few seasons there, and they had some success as well. So anytime, um, you know, that that's all fine. However, anytime you talk about, uh, you know, a big money deal for a stadium and I just, as long as there's, uh, you know, enough accountability from the business side of things, from the people who are actually putting up the money, as long as it's not the taxpayers who are going to have to foot the bill, which unfortunately, as we've seen time and time again, in soccer and in other sports, uh, you know, a lot of times the cities and their taxpayers are the ones that end up kind of getting uh, kind of held up for the the raw end of the deal. So hoping for uh, a different scenario in this case, I think Grand Rapids could absolutely sustain a USL uh, franchise. Um, it sounds like it, it will maybe be in the championship or maybe League One, but uh, you know, whatever it might be, I think Grand Rapids does have the infrastructure. They've shown uh, that they do have the market for uh, soccer. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. That it would certainly shake things up. And I feel like the USL in uh, Michigan bar is not too high. I think no matter what, if it happens, um, I'm, I'm guessing they'd surpass the uh, um, accolades that the Lansing Ignite managed in their one season. Yeah. And, and again, I, I just think the more the merrier at this point, we are still in a stage where there's so many good players, right? Like there's, there's plenty of talent that can go at that level. Uh, it's not an issue of, um, you know, competitiveness, not being there. I think we have enough talent in the area to, to support all of these higher level teams. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out which ones of those teams are going to have the brand loyalty and, you know, the, the support behind it to sustain just more than a few seasons. You know, we've seen a lot of teams kind of come and go. It's time in my mind to start figuring out who has staying power. And I think, um, you know, a, kind of a power move, if you will, on the West Coast would go a long way to helping determine who really has staying power and who's just kind of here cleaning up what they can while they can, if that makes sense. Totally. And um, going back to the interview, it seems like the way they've got that, the, the size of the club and the amount of people they have involved and the amount of teams they have, 
I don't see um, them just coming in and out of existence like other summer clubs would have. You know, like there's infrastructure and there's like a, you know, a full, you know, microcosm of activity there. That's not something that just vanishes like like some may in um, other setups if it's just a team no set up for the summer, right? No doubt. And uh, yeah, he mentioned it in the interview. There's anywhere from 80 to 100 teams. So, you know, maybe they try uh, a senior men's side one year uh, and it doesn't work out. Okay, they'll still have 80 youth clubs, you know, and and that is, again, a testament to them going about it the right way, because at the end of the day, what are you in it for? Do you want to make money or do you want to help these kids grow their game? I think Midwest United has um, said, you know, making money is great, but at the end of the day, we are here to help those kids take their game to the next level. It's, it's encouraging for me to see. And uh, I hope more people are listening and um, using them as a template going forward. Fantastic. Thank you uh, for your time and insights, Mitch. I really appreciate it. It's good to have a friend and uh, an insightful voice on. Um, if folks want to uh, follow you at all, where can they find uh, any of your musings? Uh, follow me mainly on Twitter at Great Gatsky, G-A-T-Z-K-E. Um, expect to see uh, any kind of tweets about local soccer or any kind of sports happenings. Also a big music fan. So you might see some tweets along those lines as well. Stop in, say hello. Uh, Rob, just wanted to thank you again for having me on here. Really um, been a big fan of what you guys are doing. I think this fills uh, a, a huge void in the soccer fandom in this state and you know big props to you and dan for doing all that you do to provide the content that people want and and need so uh happy to be a part of it and uh you know if you ever need me back always happy to help out whenever i can well thank you very much i know you're uh, my man on the scene at the detroit city games and uh, we see many of the same games uh, when they're uh, happening uh, around my neighborhood as well. Uh, thank you, listener, for tuning in to another episode of Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. Be sure to check out um, all the social channels, MI Soccer Central, across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Dan does a great job. You can find right now on the Twitter feed a, a retweeted story about uh, – a youth soccer regional tournament that uh, was thrown into disarray after arguing parents busted out firearms, as well as uh, lots of lots of high school goal uh, scores, rather, as well as uh, some retweets of uh, the Michigan uh, soccer coaches' weekly rankings. So, your source for all things soccer here in the Great Lakes State, Michigan Soccer Central, is your spot. Uh, and also remember, nominate your Michigan Soccer Central We Are Soccer Team of the Week. Send us a DM if you see uh, an outstanding performance on or off the field from one of our Michigan-based teams. Hit us up. We Are Soccer. 
Michigan Soccer Central Team of the Week, and your team will be announced on the We Are Soccer Saturday morning show on the Woodward Sports Network and across the Michigan Soccer Central social channels. Thank you to Jenny Hajnaki for editing the program. Thank you to Dan Katranza for the music. Thank you to all of my guests, and until next week, enjoy your soccer.